2: And welcome to another amazing AfterBuzz TV After Show for your favorite show, Hemlock Grove. We are on season two, episode six. Such dire stuff. I am your host, Sean O., and I am joined here. By my awesome and lovely co host.
3: Hello everyone, I'm Marissa Serafini.
2: Woo! Welcome back, Marissa. Ah, uh,
3: thank you. I'm glad to be back. Oh my
2: gosh. It's uh, it's so good to have you here <laughs> once again. And we're missing JJ. She's not here tonight. Yes.
3: I was gone last week and JJ's gone this week, but and uh to make up for that I did get someone for the show tonight.
2: Yes, that's right. And we actually have uh an awesome guest joining us, Drew Botton, and he is the set designer production designer for Hemlock Grove, and mm-hmm. I understand we have Drew on the line already. Is he there, Nick? Yes. All right. Can you hear me? Yes, Drew, we can hear you. Thanks for joining us this evening.
1: Absolutely. It's my pleasure. It's uh, terrific to uh, – uh, I really like what you guys have been doing and and how much it's uh, really been great for the show, and uh, I'm a fan.
3: Oh, yeah. great. We're a fan of the show. We, keep, we can't stop talking about it.
1: Yeah, oh, that's great.
3: We're actually such
2: – it's so funny because – I have been looking at your work for the past two years, and I didn't even know it was your work until recently.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, I, I suppose I'm, I'm one of those people who sort of is—I'm kind of an invisible component. But uh, yeah, we're here. We're, we're we're working away.
2: Yeah, that, that makes it—it's so fascinating, right? Because you design the sets; they shoot on the sets for for what they need to do during the scenes, and it's just like what what happens afterwards you know they they just tear everything down
1: well it's sort of uh, it, it kind of depends we um if um uh if the show if we think the show's going to go another season then they save it uh but what happened with the first season is they they decided to uh actually throw away all the sets we made so uh we we saved them for a while and then and then the decision was made and so they all went in the dumpster
3: wow so, so- you know
1: yeah. yeah so which was Actually, kind of good and bad because it gave us a chance to kind of reimagine certain things that we wanted to do to do better, and uh, and I, that's that's a great aspect to uh, to television. And and for example, Destiny's Apartment is a completely rebuilt uh, set that was uh, a better version of what we did the first season.
3: Wow, and it looks exactly the same. I would have never guessed.
1: If you, uh, you know, if you look closely, you you can see some some pretty key differences. But uh, you know, it's the sort of thing that a, a guy like me knows. Um, you know, there's a lot of more wall texture and there's more cracks. There's more uh, a little bit more space in some areas. Um, a different uh, you know, we changed the kitchen cabinets and we you know we we made her place a little bit more rundown actually, which was a note from uh, from Chick Egley. He wanted to see a, a more uh, a bit more of a tenement. the 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 feeling was was that it looked like she had too much money in season one. So we well, we, we we gave her a downgrade.
3: You he downgraded her. Well, she made a lot of money, you know, being that con artist.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah, it, and it was apparently it, the feeling was it was maybe too much money. <laughs>
3: Now with destiny's um, apartment i I noticed a few other new locations in season two. We have you know Olivia's cottage which is very earthy, and then we have roman's new mansion. um What kind of input did you have in the overlook or the overall look of each of those two completely contrasting locations?
1: Well, one of the things that we did um for for a sort of production savvy reason is we made a decision. To move more of our work closer to the uh, the hub of Toronto, and the the beautiful mansion that we were using in the first season was was a long drive, and so uh, a decision was made, given the fact that you know basically Roman has you know torn out his mom's tongue at the end of season one, we assumed that well they're not living together anymore, and he's <laughs> probably moved out, and so we took that as an opportunity to you know say. What happens when a young man with unlimited wealth um, decides to pick his own house and he's not listening to his mother anymore? What happens when that character, uh, Roman's character, is making those choices? What does that look like? And I got very excited about um, and, and a, uh, an exterior house that I thought was really right for his character. And, uh, and I got really excited about building an interior that would be something that we would create, you know, just for him. So, Roman's house is essentially is, an, is a set on stage that we built uh, from scratch, ground up, and that that was what was nice about. You know, the the throwing away the sets from last season allowed us to make the case. Okay, let's build some big new sets that we can really spend time on this season, and that was one of them. The um, the cottage was a uh, another location that we felt was in In the way that Olivia is hiding from the world as she recuperates but still hiding in a a godfrey property you know something that has the old money wealth the old money qualities of the of the mansion so we found that kind of remote uh, building on the property of the zoo and we thought well this is this is just a great little great little cottage for her to go hide you know go hide in so that's that's how that kind of came about. It came about in a way to reveal the real profound difference between the mother and the son and how Olivia really lives in the old world and Roman is, with unlimited wealth, trying so hard to be a normal person and having such a rough time of it.
2: So you had some very interesting ideas. I visited your website and I I checked it out and I saw your sketches and the work that that you did in season one. I was like, oh wow, the 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 baby attic, you know, and, and with the with the, the just all the candles around, um, the incubator in Price's lab, and um, those things have now been like expanded because in, in a way like. The baby has grown up; it's it's several months older, and same thing with the uh, Ouroboros baby now being Priscilla, grown up in the tank. You know, so how did you how how what inspired you to like take those ideas that you started with in season one, and and just do something like totally different and new in in season two?
1: Well, uh, one of the things that was really terrific is 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 you know Chick Chick Egley is a is a very um, very experienced showrunner and and his joining the team gave us an opportunity to expand into things that that um that he was interested in seeing that eli was interested in seeing and you know and so so the storylines kind of informed you know what my target you know my assignment kind of comes from the script basically and so when when they say well you know this season we're going to have we're gonna have a body in a tank. It's like, okay, great. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna go out. We're gonna find a beautiful water tank. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna take this kind of Frankenstein monster moment to the next level. And uh, so it, it all comes from the, the source material of the of the writing. Um, and, then, and then we do our best job to, you know, make it beautiful and make it interesting. And you know, sometimes we you know, we bring you know something un- unexpected. But uh, you know, I, I have to give credit to the you know to the writers on that.
2: Yeah, and in that case, with the, the making the tank look beautiful, you put a beautiful woman in it too. <laughs> uh,
1: absolutely, and uh, you know that uh, that never fails.
3: Yeah. Now the Orboros symbols is such a big key. It, it's the Orboros itself is such a big storyline in Hemlock Grove, and I kind of noticed the symbol thrown. Throughout here and there, visually, um, you know, on paintings or chairs, or was that your creative decision to throw those visual elements in there throughout?
1: Yes, I, um, I, um, I had pitched the idea of of uh, of trying to work that in, and David uh, um our director, had had uh, sent me an image of a kind of a Franz Kline like black and white painting that was circular, and of course it was. It's kind of a perfect thing to look at. And kind of think, oh well, I could see how we could do an abstract painting that is, in a way, sort of a, a vague reenactment of the Ouroboros. And if it's subtle enough, you know, the, you know, the, only the observant fans will really catch it as, as what it is. It's not just a big circular painting; it's an Ouroboros. And so uh, I actually I actually did that painting on my iPad, and then we printed it out big so uh you know i I love stuff like that, and uh you know it, you know David was interested and, and chick and everybody enjoyed you know those kinds of beats and moments and you know i I really enjoyed suggesting let's bring you know Roman's axe and put it over the fireplace in his new home and you know with with the intention that you know, I knew if I put it over the fireplace, something good would happen with it later
3: yeah so, that's you know, that's yeah. awesome yeah. i I love the subtle imagery throughout yeah. and uh also the numbers um do the numbers throughout you know like the forty seven forty eight degrees or Romans house numbers did they have any- s- symbolic meaning
1: uh yes the the Romans house number is coincidentally um a um a, uh, i I'm, I'm blanking on the uh the exact meaning but it's uh it's a bad number i believe and yeah. it was coincidentally forty four was the the number of the location house so i, I simply in, in somewhat in ignorance used forty four to be the neon on the outside of the building and then I was told by somebody that actually in uh in uh in numerology it's actually ooh like a creepy bad number so then I thought well you know that's the that's the hand of fate you know sort of <laughs> jumping into the production design process and you know you know giving me giving me a freebie, so I said I took it you know
2: Oh, that's great. Hemlock Grove is, is creepy on the show and creepy in real life. I love it. Yep. So, yep. um, you know, with, with all the, in Price's lab, we get to see a lot more of it this season. There's so many tubes going everywhere to and from the tanks. We get to see, uh, Priscilla floating around in the tank. And it kind of reminded me of something like out of anime, like with Akira. Uh, did you, do you have, are you into anime at all? Do you have any kind of, uh, inspiration that comes from Japanese anime?
1: Well, you know, I, I'm I'm absolutely aware of uh, aware of all those things, and it's 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 funny what what is a known inspiration and what is a sort of like an involuntary one, um, or or like a you know like an unknown thing. Sometimes you know the, the like a design process happens very quickly, and you 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 make a choice not from a not not from being able to back it up with like a solid you know, verbal explanation for why I did something. But it just sort of happens because it fits into just sort of the general world. And I think the thing about about our show and the genre that it's in and and what's kind of fascinating and wonderful about the genre is, is where you can exaggerate and where you can stylize. And that's something I'm very attracted to. And, um, you know, that stuff... The anime is extremely stylized, extremely uh, sexualized, and you know it's it's a it's an aspect of fantasy that exists in really in the minds of everyone who goes to a comic con or you know anybody who reads a comic book or you know is really kind of kind of tapped into that same collective uh, fantasy world, and so you know for me it's uh, you know. I'm kind of walking around in it all the time, and I almost am not even aware that I'm walking around in it. But, you know, that's, that's kind of the world that we, you know, live in. And a really interesting thing was said by David Strait, our um, our director and, and, and exec, that um, I think is really great to share with you guys. It, you know, Hemlock Grove is, is not a real place. It's a place, you know, that exists in Brian McGreevy's head, And you know, you you can't get in the car and drive to Hemlock Grove. And I thought that was really a beautiful and interesting way of of thinking about the show. It's almost like you know, like there's a you know, a great giant, you know, glass bubble and inside is Hemlock Grove. And so, you know, the rules don't apply inside the way they apply, you know, everywhere
2: else.
3: Wow, that's that's amazing and and I love that perspective. It's a completely different way of looking at the show. And I love the the overall look of Hemoga. It looks like a completely different town that somewhat normal, but you can see it's completely abnormal. And that's what I find fascinating about these types of shows.
1: Yeah, me too. And, and you know, it, it, it's because it's a Netflix show and not a network television show. We have the freedom to do some things that are edgy and uh you know, um, you know. there's a phrase that they use a lot about television where you want something to be aspirational. You know, I, I go to meetings and they say, well, this person's house or this person's town should be aspirational. And, you know, that's really just designed from a perspective that they imagine that if it's nice or it, it looks like you'd want to live there, that that's the right choice to make for the show. And in Hemlock Grove, you know, I've never once been told to make anything aspirational and you know ironically there are a lot of moments where people say to me wow i'd sort of like to live there or i'd you know <laughs> i'd sort of like to live there and you know so it's it's a place where you know i feel you know very at home even in places that are sort of a little odd and a little bit weird and you know a, a lot of a lot of the people on the show are you know sort of a sort of similar mind so um you know in our in our own weird way it's a kind of an aspirational place for us too
3: yeah now i know you guys film in toronto mostly for the majority of the part were there any say locations that you wanted to use but you couldn't due to like the the location or other certain factors like it didn't work with the storytelling or financial or anything like that
1: yeah that, that that's kind of an ordinary sort of fact of life and one of the things that we were able to do in the first season was um, do a weekend trip. Uh, Darren Serafian and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, Peter and uh, and Bill did a weekend trip down to Pittsburgh, and they shot some really wonderful footage uh, down there around Cary Furnace in the town of Braddock. And that area of Pennsylvania is really what the is about. It's, uh, you know, Brian McGreevy is from a town nearby, and, you know, that area is, is very much the... Of collapsed American industrial wasteland, that is the sort of the backbone of the spine of the story of Godfrey Industries. And we originally were going to do the show in Pittsburgh, and we had to move it to Toronto. So for a number of us, there's always been this kind of wish to, you know, how can we get some pieces of Pittsburgh back in? Because you know Pittsburgh is, uh, we'll put it another way, Canada is is it doesn't have as many kind of rusting collapsing factories as as we have in the united states in particular in in the pittsburgh area so i you know i was often trying to look at these uh, canadian set locations and make them crappier (laughs) you know bring in more rubble and make it rustier and you know screw it up and that kind of thing that's that's kind of what we that's kind of what we do that's the big mission that's uh... sort of an invisible mission but you know, you know, the viewer doesn't have any idea how often it is the case that places look really nice. And by the time we're done with them, they look like a crap hole. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so out of all the sets you've done, um, all the set design that you've done for Hemlock Grove for the past two seasons, which one, if you're going to pick one, which one would you say it was your favorite that you were the most proud of?
1: You know, it's a, it's a difficult uh, a difficult thing to answer. You know, because each have their different sort of qualities. I um, I sort of uh, in a very sort of unusual and odd way. I I like the uh, the apartment for the uh, two guys who get uh, they get not ectomies, uh, <laughs> the last Rater. And I, you know, I I, I thought there was a, a it's a simple set. It's not as complicated or as big as a number of the other sets, but there's several elements about it that I thought were sort of good, you know. It was a a set that we'd used three times before, and we repainted it again, and, you know, um, it was an opportunity to do some really messed up set dressing and some really sort of disturbed, you know, sort of decorating and, you know, use some kind of colors that really are just kind of weird. And so I I really, I like that set a lot. And um, I liked, I thought it was beautifully filmed, and just really interesting kind of, uh, but like at a low point or a high point of, you know, the disturbing second season, if you will. That, that's definitely on the list of of that. And I also liked uh, Shelley's basement, the uh, space that we see her in. Um, you know, I liked that a lot.
3: Yeah, um, those are both memorable different locations for sure um do you know the the future of hemlock grove do you can you like tease anything if we are going to be back for season three and if so will you be a part of it
1: well i I know that there's a uh it's a tremendous amount of excitement and uh that's um the you know the people who order the shows have been very have been very pleased with what they've seen um uh with the second season and and so there's a you know um it's one of those announcements that doesn't come for many months longer than all of us wish. You know, we all, we're all sort of like to be able to count on it because I, I like going to Hemlock Grove. I'd like to go back to Hemlock Grove and be in that world. I really, I really enjoy it. I just, uh, I just don't have the answer yet. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not hiding anything from you. I, I literally have
2: nothing to tease. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us here on our podcast for, um, after buzz TV's Hemlock Grove uh where can our fans and followers find you at drew
1: well you can always uh you can always send me a tweet um a uh i think it's uh drew Boughton. oh gosh i'm forgetting my own twitter account
3: at drew Boughton.
1: Um, what's that at drew Boughton. yeah and
3: there we go. follow me
1: on twitter
2: okay excellent we'll give you some well hopefully our fans and followers will give you some follows and and then you can have a little dialogue with them. But, uh, yeah, Drew Boughton, the uh, production designer for Hemlock Grove, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. You guys are great. Really enjoyed it. All right. Thank you, Drew.
2: Thanks. All right. Great insight. Yeah, really good insight into the, the set. And like I was saying, it's just, it's just so interesting that I've been, for two seasons, I've been looking at his artwork, and I never even thought about it, you know? Yeah, that's so, how it always is. Somebody's got to make those sets. And it's so funny because they're disposable, they're expendable in a way right mm-hmm. so they they like he said they they hold on to it and they they're like okay like maybe we're going to lo- use this later on but they didn't use it they lose no. it they throw that <laughs> they stuff away they destroyed it
3: they struck it
2: yeah and but at the same time even though it's so disposable dispensable it's immortal at the same time mm-hmm. because it's recorded it's on Netflix streaming we get to see it whenever we want which is Really awesome.
3: Yep, and it's always there in our memories. Yeah, it's it's great because I'm such a visual person too, and I just love looking. The overall look of Hemlock Grove is so individual and distinct that like no other show really looks like it. So that's great.
2: Oh yeah, fantastic. So, oh, let's go ahead and talk about. uh, Did did I mention the topics? I don't. I don't know. I don't think so.
3: We just went right into it. We just went
2: right into (laughs) our interview. So let's. so So all right, we have Roman gets treated we get to oh. oh, I can't wait to talk about that uh Peter is visited by the sheriff's Ch- chasseur Galena offers an alliance and she makes an enemy no she does Miranda cares for the baby Nadia Norman and Leticia investigate what's going on with uh with Olivia <laughs> and how why is she so strange and mm-hmm. the masked men strike again ooh get that they did so uh Roman right in the beginning we start off in his treatment, and I'm thinking, like, the whole time, I'm especially now after the interview with uh, Drew, I'm thinking, dude, this is, like, anime-inspired to the max, <laughs> like, with all the needles and machines everywhere. And the close-up of eyes. Yeah, mm. and, and not only that, but the whole time I was actually thinking um, Hostel, and we got Eli Roth, Eli who, was, Roth. who <laughs> created Hostel. And then a clockwork orange too, because they mm-hmm. zoomed in on his eyes and they had them opened up by those machines. Yep. And he couldn't close them. Needles right in his eyes. Uh, oh god. That's like, that's like 10 levels up from, t- from eye drops in your eyes.
3: Oh yeah, totally. And I love how they did have this opening scene at the very beginning of the episode. It completely set the tone. And I'm like, okay, nothing else is going to be as disturbing and gruesome as this. And then, you know, we'll see what the maths meant. But it just shows, like, how disturbed they can get. And uh, the lengths that Roman is going through to not be an inupia. That he really is going through these gruesome, physically harsh treatments to just be a normal guy.
2: Yeah, he can't get anesthesia because his body won't take to it, according to Dr. Price. And just the way Price was saying things... It was so funny. Like I just, I loved it. The uh, think happy thoughts, think happy thoughts, because <laughs> so you're gonna
3: feel the pain. I would, and maybe it's because of his upir anatomy that he doesn't feel pain as a regular human would. So that's probably why he could go through the treatments, and why probably Olivia can go through certain treatments too. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's to see that physically as a human being. I don't think anyone would be, you know, could go through that.
2: I Now, every time Price is in a scene, which he was in a lot of scenes this episode.
3: He said a lot of very, you know, detailed medical s- science.
2: Yeah, and not only that, even just his vocabulary in general. Exactly. It, it really <laughs> inspires me to be like, man, and I think I have a pretty strong vocabulary. And I'm like, man, I need to brush up on stuff. So even when I was sitting down watching the show again, I was like... He said equanimity. That's like so cool. Yeah. Such a cool word. What I'm going to lose my before I lose my equanimity with you to Dr. Galena. I was like, what's that? So apparently mm. it's like his mental calmness, which, <laughs> yeah. which I did not know.
3: So and, cool, and the fact that because we know Price is so condescending, it's his way to separate himself from everybody else, but put it in a very again condescending way and explaining that like no,
2: yeah, and, I'm not like you, and we're and it closed out the scene so lovely because I was cringing the whole time, and then we're like. Oh, it's done. And that's what Roman felt too.
3: Only five more to go. Oh my God. Can you
2: imagine? And the way he said it was just so cheery. It just was the exact opposite of the tone for the whole scene, which was so <laughs> funny. And the music too. The music was so exciting because it's like he's a, he's a, he's a conductor doing his work there yeah. in the orchestra. It's so, it was so beautiful. It's a
3: mad scientist. Loving his work.
2: Loving his work. So, uh, additionally, you know, like to kind of like veer off because we didn't really put Doctor Price up there on uh, on on the um, discussion board. But so he. Th- we get to see him and ha- having a scene with Dr. Galena, too, and he shreds one of her passports because she has two, right? Yeah. One's her real identity. So, so, you know, so far we know her real identity.
3: Her real identity that no one should know about, yeah. but the audience does know that. She used to be a bad person. Yes. She used to do bad things.
2: Yeah, she used to be working in in Baghdad, in Baghdad or Iraqi prisons or something or somewhere. Yeah. yeah, and they even had like Joel talked about it last week. They even had um what what was it? They had some like nickname for her. <laughs> and and he speaks like everything he speaks so many languages he speaks russian he speaks uh arabic too it's like so fascinating and even during that scene he he even he even says another cool english word duplicitous or duplicity something like that right and i counted the 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 amount of letters in it that's like a 16 letter word <laughs> so i was like yeah that he's getting really up there like he said like 19 letter words before so it's just so neat and he he really inspires me um, getting back to Roman, though, after the treatment, we we get to see Roman at home, and there's pus coming out of his ears.
3: Yeah. I mean, his body... Yeah, I think that's typical for anyone to go through a traumatic surgical procedure like that. I mean, it would be normal. A normal human being would probably have reactions or symptoms, and that's the current one he's going through, which shows that maybe he is becoming human.
2: Yeah. His, he's starting to have... An immune system that's not perfect anymore. Yeah. So he's having pus come out, which is not normal. And he's, he's having, what, what else? He has like slurred speech. He's like, there's pus coming <laughs> out pus. of my ear. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, again, it does show the human kind, his humanity is starting to come out physically now.
2: Yeah, it is. So Peter gets visited by Sheriff chasseur pretty early in the episode mm-hmm. and we <laughs> Before he comes in, though, we see Andres walking around in his underwear.
3: Those are so short <laughs> short shorts, and he has such long legs, and every time I see him in the that outfit I, I can't take him seriously no but again he's there for like comedic relief which is exactly what he's supposed to do
2: you're exactly right that that you took the words right <laughs> out of my mouth marissa he is just too funny like they're sitting there watching the nature stuff he's like such is the way of the world in his leopard underwear
3: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> and they're smoking a doobie right
3: mm-hmm. oh yeah. my
2: gosh it's and and where does he go he hides when sh- Chaucer comes around like there's there's like another room, right?
3: Yeah, I think so. I yeah. mean Destiny's apartment is apparently bigger than we thought. It's
2: bigger than we expect. Yeah. So he comes in, so Schuster comes in and he's sniffing around and this is pretty much his way of peeing all over Peter. <laughs> yeah. Right? So we really didn't have someone physically pee this episode, did no. we? There were fluids coming out, but
3: There were fluids. Yeah. <laughs> More bodily fluids. It fluid. was not urination this time though.
2: <laughs> no, no. But uh Shusser was just messing with him and i loved their conversation even though it was very brief i liked how he says um you better work with me otherwise i'm gonna fuck you up if Mm -hmm. you don't comply and when he's leaving he does a little double entendre there and he says i know what you are and when i heard that i was like wait does he really know that he's a wolf because he probably does know Right? What do we, I what do think, you think
3: he I think he definitely has theories based off of you know his sister's you know work that she left behind so and he seems like he's a very smart guy. he knows everything that's going on, but he needs that confirmation from other people to to really you know legitimize his work and his theories yeah. and con- confirm everything,
2: yeah, and he knows his sister. Has, she, he probably knows about that whole test his sister went through when she was locked up in jail in season one doing a flashback, right? Yeah. Um, she ended up killing a, a Vargulf, or maybe it was just a regular werewolf, that was in the prison cell with her. Right. So he probably knows about all these superstitious creatures and stuff like that, supernatural creatures, rather.
3: And he knows the Order of the Dragon, who, you know, uh, really works with those types of creatures, too. So I'm sure he's very well-informed
2: that's right so it's so funny how he throws out that double entendre once again it's like wait you know he's a wolf or and then he says it. That means to an end and
3: it means to an end
2: that's so great I love that I just, I just love those lines man you think it's going one way and it totally goes the other way <laughs> It's Um, it's all about just like the meaning. It's like they change the meaning of the words from character to character. And it's just so fascinating. And they just keep fucking with each other.
3: Yeah. And uh, it's a nice difference between his sister Clementine too, because she would do work and she would know and have her suspicions and whatnot. She had one way to get her confirmation of everything. And he has, and you know, Michael has his own way of getting his confirmations. So completely different, but they're still they still try to like avert everything and go different ways.
2: That's right. So Dr. Galina she visits Olivia and Olivia. Off, and offers her an alliance. She she goes there and they they have some vodka. Of course, she's Russian. <laughs> Russian, right? And she reveals that she knows about the Uberism and that and she gives that little tidbit of information. Oh. I know that your son's trying to get rid of it, by the way, and that just... But Olivia is so calm there, but she's wearing black, right? Yeah,
3: I noticed that, too. And
2: she has her own pianist
3: <laughs> playing yeah. for her, like a little private show. I mean, she she does have a lot of money herself, too, so if she wants music, go for it.
2: Yeah, so she's uh, Dr. Galena, she says all she wants is a favor in the future, right? Because she sees... We see, as the audience, that there's antagonism between her and Price. And yeah. she wants somebody to be able to help her out later on in the future.
3: Yeah, and you know Galena's at the point where she knows that Price can easily turn on her at any point. And we do see that the audience sees that in tonight's episode. But So in order to make up for that, you have to go to Olivia to confirm that you, you don't have just that one person in Price. You have another friend here, too. Who has power and money? That's right. And has some connection to the Godfrey Industries.
2: Yeah, and even Olivia, she pondered that with her. She was like, so what do you want? You want money? And then she revealed, no, I want a favor. But I'm sure she would like money, too. Probably. Money, so money yeah. and favors can go hand in hand, and they can be pretty you know, interchangeable. Yeah,
3: But we don't really know what Galena used to do in her past life, so maybe she already has a lot of money. Money's not a factor.
2: And we will never know. This is a spoiler alert, yeah, by the way. Yeah, won't. If, if you want to use Season three. Sound, soundboard spoiler alert. Uh, but she, in, later on, she's not going to be in season three, because she got chopped yeah. up into little bits, and she's in that nutrient concentrate.
3: Yep. She dies. <laughs> yeah, she
2: she get she gets
3: pureed. <laughs> oh, that's nasty.
2: So, um, Olivia ends up going to see Price, and that's how he finds out about the information that got leaked. And he turns her, he turns Olivia, to turn her attention to her granddaughter. Mm-hmm. So now she doesn't care about Roman and his and him getting rid of his ooperism, not so much anymore. She goes along with Price and is like, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna start grooming my little granddaughter. She has some weird powers about her. I can get her to run Godfrey Industries too now.
3: And also, it was very smart of Price to completely change the, the um, conversation to gears towards another child, which we know Olivia's very child driven and killing all these babies. Even though she doesn't kill her ch- children anymore, which I love that line. That was great. <laughs> but um, it was very smart of Price to do that because now has now has Olivia go to Rome and has you know built that big conflict again.
2: Yeah, and um, it's he, him getting out of that situation was very smart. He's a very well versed intellectual guy who can who can strategize well in conversation, very impromptu. Mm-hmm. He's, that's why he, him and Chelsea are my favorite characters because they're on top of their shit <laughs> this season. Um, uh, so Miranda cares for the baby Nadia. She's taking care of her. We don't really see it too much, but she comes out of the room and she was, she says to the maid, and I don't even know the maid's name. Is it Anne? I was looking at the credits, and I think it might be Anne.
3: I'm completely forgetting
2: right, right now. But she says, oh, singing helps for the baby, you know, and it helps to calm her down. Maybe you could try it. And the maid just looks up at her and doesn't even respond. She Obviously, she seems disgusted by her.
3: Well, and then, you know, Miranda, this completely random woman, comes into the house, takes over her job. And so her, her being there is pretty much pointless right now. It, and... And then, you know, she tells Olivia because she's not happy that someone else is taking taking over her job. She's not the caretaker anymore. So I can understand why she would say something like that.
2: Oh, yeah. And I love that scene, too, because we don't get to see her get too pissed off or talk, period. She goes to, right to Olivia because she hasn't seen her the whole season. And she goes, Madame, Madame, or whatever she says, <laughs> uh, there's street trash, street, street trash trick. in the house. And she's usurping me. It's just so funny to hear her hysterical about the whole thing.
3: Yeah. And it also shows that, you know, this woman and the uh the butler that they are actually family related close friends. They've worked for the Godfrey's for years, so there's loyalty connection there. Well
2: the butler, I got his name,
3: it's Conway. Conway, that's yes. it.
2: They finally said it. I was Conway. like, that's it.
3: That's thank it. you, Conway. <laughs> yes,
2: thank you, Conway. Thank you for kicking Olivia out of the house. <laughs> yeah. On Roman's orders. That's yeah. that's pretty awesome that he he. okay obviously he was employed by the family like you said mm-hmm. for generations probably and he is now he probably was taking orders from olivia before and now he's taking orders from roman that's oh, a,
3: roman that's awkward very awkward and then kicking your mother out that was even more yeah <laughs> that's worse
2: that was embarrassing
3: yeah for olivia
2: so, Miranda ends up going to the party with Peter. They have a little bit of a conversation, like a deep conversation. There was that, well, before that, there was a really funny scene where they're bonding with... That one huge gypsy guy, and they do the arm (laughs) Arm wrestling, wrestling. and he does like the pinky wrestle, Mm. and she totally knees his arm down. That was great. I was like, "Yeah, get around that stuff." She knows how to think outside the box.
3: Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's what Peter likes in her because she's so spontaneous. Spontaneous. I can't say the word. Spontaneous. Spontaneous. Sorry. That's that is. Um, You know, so she's creative in that way, and you know that's attractive.
2: And they have a little bit of a conversation when things are winding down and they're on the couch and everybody else is passed the hell out on the floor. Oh, my goodness. That was a great party. (laughs) Yeah, they really had a good time drinking and doing their, like, they're smoking weed for sure. We saw Destiny token it up in that bong. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So... We get to see them just... What were they talking about? Like, I, I didn't really... I don't really remember too much of the conversation, but it was more like a bonding thing. It I, was a
3: bonding thing. And, you know, going over, you know, just... Uh, yes, it was exactly just bonding. So
2: Yeah, it was just giving them a reason to get closer. And it's like, mm-hmm. they're going to sleep together again.
3: Yeah. But, you know, Destiny does not like that. Yeah. I love... Okay, what did you think of how Destiny went completely mama bear on her? Oh,
2: my God. That was so funny. And I remember when... When Dio Horn was in the studio with us, yeah. she said, later on, I'm going to have a great conversation with Miranda's character. And it's just so, you, she tears right into her. And we finally got to see it six episodes in.
3: Mm-hmm. And I think it's so great that Destiny, because we know she's so close to Peter. They're more like brothers and sisters compared to cousins. And it's great that she would be that motherly role in that Situation and really know what's going on and be honest to Peter saying, Hey, Miranda's playing you. She's sleeping with both you and Roman. I mean, you have to take care of this. I don't think you should be with the girl who's going to do that to you. So I love how her character is like really will look out for her family.
2: Not only does she have clairvoyance and she can see all those crazy things and tell the future in a way with her little spells and whatever she does, but she can also just see by looking at people and she can really read others. So just like she was able to read Clementine back in season one yeah. after, after sleeping with her, yes. she, she is able to just look at Miranda and she's like hey I know what you're doing and you're trouble for my pretty much her little brother yeah right for my little cousin
3: you're trouble for our family yeah get out
2: see but the funny thing is and I want to do a little spoiler alert here too because we're gonna talk you know like this is important I don't feel like later on in the season she's able to do like I don't think it's really answered if she brings about a lot of like Trouble, You know, well, there is a lot of trouble later on. But yeah, I don't think Miranda really... I don't think she's like some kind of grifter or trying to get at them or use them in some way. I think she genuinely loves them. And by the end of this episode, we get to find that out. We get to see her having that deep conversation, a very touching moment between her, Peter, and... And Roman, they're sitting down. Love
3: how she was the mediator and all that. Yeah,
2: she was really the mediator, and they were—they had their little guy fight. You know how yeah, boys are. Boys
3: will be boys. They
2: always fight. Just like you know, it reminds me of like Breaking Bad. Just like Jesse and Walt, they like throw blows at each other, and then they like fall down. They're all tired, and they end up like making up in some way.
3: Yeah, five seconds later. Okay, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah,
2: and that's what happens with Peter and Roman, and they bounce back especially faster because they're young.
3: Yeah, and
2: they're <laughs> they got supernatural powers. That is true. But um. It was such a. It, she defined their characters really well. Just,
3: I agree. Yeah, yeah, just
2: saying those lines to both of them each. I was like, "That's exactly how they are."
3: Yep, and and I love how she she can be someone who's so new to this cast and to this show who has such deeper insight and more a better understanding of the characters than maybe the audience does. Who think who you would think would have a better understanding because we watched them for so long already. But it's great that her character can read different types of people and you know and with roman and peter and the the fact that she was the person who kind of helped you know keep these two guys apart i mean they had the problems before but she was the the rock in between and now she's the one that's putting them back together
2: yeah and it's so fascinating how yeah she looked like she was going to be the wedge yeah. pushing them apart But she's really the glue. It's, like, so contrary to what you would think.
3: And you wouldn't think it from her character from, like, the first episode, either.
2: No. Yeah, you would think... Yeah, well, in a way, she was bringing them together because she happened to be in both of their lives by chance. And then they start to see... Wait, you're here? You're here with that guy? That guy's place? It's just mm-hmm. so
3: funny. Eventually, you know the Roman and makeup. There was a really
2: good line that Miranda said uh, about the impeded stream is the one that sings, and I actually looked up the. Um, I looked it up online, and Wendell Berry is actually the poet who wrote that line, and he is compared to the modern day. He's it's like he's the modern day William Faulkner.
3: Oh, Which yes. is so
2: interesting. I want and this guy, this guy Wendell Berry is still alive. So I'm wondering, like, if the writers they really like this poet and they threw that their own thing in there
3: reference to yeah. Uh, and I, I I love that because we know Brian McGreevy who who wrote the first novel. He he pulled from a lot of different references for the storytelling, and then to throw poetry in there, very romantic in a way.
2: Yeah, really romantic. And she keeps doing that. like, she even says like, oh, when I'm a famous writer or oh, I love this one poem or, like, this Mm -hmm. one character, like, this guy created. So it's it's nice to see her, like, she's kind of like a budding writer kind of character, you know? It's kind of cool. Yeah. And um, I I feel like she's a more vocal version of Letha. Because Letha, she kept them together and then also divided them at the same time. Yeah. But Letha was very, she was very immature and she couldn't, she didn't really say that much. She was kind of like... Her character was kind of like a, a tool in a way.
3: Yeah, and also if you think about it, Letha was a high school student. She came from a more stable household family because her parents were both still together. And so she had a better upbringing than Miranda did because she told us that her parents kicked her out. And so she had a completely different upbringing than Letha did. So, I mean, in then you compare those two. Of course, Miranda would be the more um, life-experienced type of person.
2: Exactly. So Norman and Leticia do a little investigation. So it actually doesn't show Norman investigate too much this episode, right? Yeah. But Leticia. They
3: had their suspicions. They, yeah.
2: Yes, they did. They, they were, she was like, Hey, let me get at her. Let me like get into her place or do something. Let me investigate Olivia. And he was like, no, no. And this was a few episodes ago. And he's like, no, I'm not going to have you investigate my girlfriend. Yeah. And she does it anyway. I think she's doing it because Number one, she's an investigator. She's curious. She wants to do it. And number two, I think she likes Norman.
3: Probably. I imagine. And I think the whole community of Helmlock Grove has always been suspicious of Olivia. So no matter who Olivia crosses, you're going to be questioning her. So I think her as an investigator, she has that already inkling to be like, who is this mysterious woman? Um, Even if Norman wasn't in the picture, she would still probably look up who Olivia is.
2: Yeah. So, uh, when Olivia leaves, after Dr. Galena leaves, uh, she goes off in her little cart, which was so funny. <laughs> and we have uh, Leticia just sneak right in there. It was kind of funny how she just came, like, off camera. Like,
3: oh, am I get in oh, the house. You're right here.
2: And she Very good. easily mm-hmm. breaks in. She's yeah. good at her job. She is good. She is a sleuth. She gets in there and she sees, what can I use for DNA evidence? Oh, the water bottle. She gets that. She's going to use that later on to do some... Tests on and find out that Olivia is who she is. Yep.
3: (laughs) We will see that in the future.
2: And additionally, related to Norman, he goes off and he got Shelly's email last time and he goes after Shelly. He knows where she is now. They tracked her down. He's waiting outside for her. And I guess there was kind of an ellipse where we didn't get to see. Maybe she said, Pick me up at this time on this date or whatever. And he waited there for like two or three hours in the van, right?
3: Yeah, because we did see that scene with um, Shelly when she kept looking at her phone and she wasn't getting any received messages from Norman. So we know that they've been email tagging each other. So it was about time that, you know, they finally were able to meet up.
2: Oh, that's interesting that you say that. That gives me a different perspective. I thought it was she kept looking at the time because Jason was up with her and he actually wanted her or sh- she wanted him to go to sleep so that she could like hey you have to go home now because she wanted to leave she wanted to leave at night without him noticing cuz she didn't want to say bye to Jason
3: I think he, i mean she might have not wanted to say goodbye but we know that she has grown close to Jason so i think her being such a sweet character and you know so connected to family and friends that she would want to say goodbye.
2: yeah so yeah.
3: i i would I find it hard that she wouldn't want to say goodbye.
2: Well, what happens is Jason ends up going home, and she's about to take off, and the dad is up uh, with his belt buckle to whip his kid with. Jeez. Yeah. So he's hitting him with it, and you hear the screams outside the house. Shelley, of course, she's got to turn okay. back.
3: She went Mom and bear, too.
2: <laughs> she totally went Mom and bear, and she spoke. Yeah, she did. Her first word was no. Oh, reminded me yeah. of um, Caesar from Rise of the Planet of the Apes. His first words. <laughs> yeah. So she says no, and she totally wreaks havoc in the house, and and totally destroys the whole his whole family unit. It's gone, and yeah. it's not it's not her fault. She was just yeah. defending she was him,
3: protecting Jason like yeah. a mother would.
2: Exactly like a mother would, or or an older sister, mm-hmm. and she took a beating herself. She got that big time laceration to her back from the knife, and yeah. the father blew his mother his mother away on accident, shot her with a shotgun.
3: Oh, that that poor woman! <laughs> she she went by so fast, and the fact that like he felt no remorse whatsoever—he's like, oh, I messed my target. I'm gonna still keep shooting. I mean, that that itself was a little bit messed up.
2: Yeah, and then the and then Jason's mother. Falls back and hits her head, and she dies on yeah. the table. And we I thought he was alive when we left, but then they show what happens afterwards. No, he nope. fell down on the table, too, and he
3: got the leg through his eye. No, nope. He is gone. Totally gone. And well-deserved, too. Very well-deserved. <laughs> I mean, I don't wish death upon people, but he had it coming. He
2: sure did. So the masked men strike again, mm-hmm. and they're about to attack a boy with a vicious dog, but... The guy can't do it. And I thought they'd give that ellipse so you think the boy's dead. But the guy won't go through with it. And he slices his own legs down at the arteries there.
3: Self-mutilation.
2: Self-mutilation. And this
3: is the point I said at the beginning that I didn't think that they were going to be able to tap Roman's treatment. But then visually, this was very disturbing too. Actually slicing. You can see the blood gushing out. Oh.
2: Yeah. I've seen that. In in Dexter, hostile in in hostile too. Oh that oh the hostile one was really oh, bad with ter- yes. like taking out the Achilles tendon. Oh, oh, so they goodness. can't walk. Thank oh, okay. you, Eli Roth. Yes, thank you, Eli Roth. They just keep finding so many ways to kill people. They just <laughs> yeah. it's, they're so creative. There's with so
3: it. many veins that you could really play at.
2: <laughs> so, uh, we get to see the men come from from the masked group and they finally say something nobody said anything except for that one cop he got to say hey ma'am are you okay but we finally get to them to say something that actually has to do with their order and um we get to see the leader and he's that blonde haired guy kind of reminds me of the dude from from aliens who played bishop the android Uh, lance something or other Hendrickson, Lance Hem- Hendrickson.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think
2: so. So he kind he kind of looks like him a lot, actually. Maybe
3: some inspiration. But yeah. I find it interesting how this guy who killed himself he couldn't, um, you know, after going after the kid. But it was I thought it was interesting how this kid was completely by himself. Well, he wasn't with family, and all the deaths that we see is usually a kid with their his his or her parent. And this kid was only by himself.
2: That's right. So there must be something about the boys or the children, because it's only been boys so far, right? Yeah, boys. So right something now. about the boys that they want to that they want to kill them kill. for, assassinate them, target them, whatever. Um, at the end, the the guy said, "The leader says you were weak. Mm-hmm. You know, you couldn't do it. Rest well, brother." And he turns around with a grenade, throws it under the truck. Igo te absolvo.
3: Yeah, did you look up what that means? Oh no, actually I didn't have time. I,
2: I did though. And I I did Google Translate. There it's, you go. It's Latin and it means I absolve
3: you. Ah. So I forgive you for not being able to interesting.
2: Yes, for not being able to carry out the task you were given. So I thought that was that was like a really overall it was a really good episode.
3: Yes, visually um thematically stunning. Yes. And disturbing at the same time, but you still love it. A, a lot of plot points were still you know it keeps the story going it's fascinating and
2: i especially liked it because i i got to see a lot of dr price and he is such man joel so good, Joel fuente awesome actor well anyway let's go ahead and move into our news and gossip after Buzz tv news well we only got a couple of things to talk about um i just wanted to mention some of our fans and give them a shout out um we had Stephanie Elliott on YouTube. She actually uh, commented at us, uh, Love Joel and your interview as always. Smiley face. <laughs> you guys are great. Yes, my girl was the luckiest girl in the world in that ep. So hating right now. She got the best of both worlds, laugh out loud. So I'm not sure if she's referring to this last episode or this episode, but I think she's talking about this one.
3: And I think she's talking about Miranda. Yeah, and I right. think
2: she's talking about Miranda... Getting, getting
3: Peter and Roman.
2: <laughs> getting Peter and Roman into bed, and she was Miranda was the one who instigated the whole thing. She yeah. she went upstairs and like, are you boys coming? Yep,
3: yeah, she gets it.
2: <laughs> yeah. That was that was pretty cool. Um and Daniela Graf, she also said um she had a little correction for us, I guess. A little geography. She says Budapest is the capital of Hungary, Bucharest is the capital of Romania, where many gypsies stem from excellent well because yeah. last time i didn't know i was like bucharest i thought she said B- budapest Bucharest.
3: that's where um they sent the mother that that's where they sent uh oh my goodness linda linda yes yes, yes linda. that's right that she is she got on a plane to bucharest
2: she got on a plane to bucharest so now we know that's the the homeland of the Romani people yes very cool uh did you have any news and gossip no let's go ahead and move into our predictions
3: and now, you're after Buzz TV. Predictions.
2: I love the strobe lights.
3: <laughs> it's very fitting for this creepy show. Yes.
2: Well, I, I've got quite a few, and I wrote these when I was watching the show for the first time, for the first episode, <laughs> for the first time I saw this episode, episode 6. Roman will have a change in himself and lose his powers along with his hunger. um uh, but he will need weekly treatments, which it looks like he's going to need. Yes, right. Somehow the treatments will get interrupted, and they're um, and then, and obviously I saw this before I saw the next episode, and they explain everything. They're gonna have a threesome.
3: Uh, yes,
2: yes. Which they don't get to show, but hey, you know what? They showed enough. Sex leave it scenes. to
3: the imagination.
2: Yes, we get to we get to leave it to the imagination on that one. Um, you know, so because why else would they go upstairs, right? <laughs> and <laughs> Olivia. Um, will, I think she's gonna like that Miranda's taking care of the baby. And, um, she'll still want it for herself to raise though, at the same time later on, like, of course. Get out of the picture, Miranda. The Oopir needs to raise her granddaughter. And, um, I think the old maid's gonna die. And Miranda is one of the cult members.
3: Ooh. Yes. Interesting. I, uh, to go against that one, I think the cult members is after Miranda. She's not a part of it. She's after it. They're mm-hmm. like, they're after her. Yes. Um, or she has at least some connection to them in some way. Um, I think we see Roman's treatments, but what's the, uh, uh, how extreme will they go to? And uh, I think it will physically change his body and he will be- will become more human and might have the potential of dying. Who knows? And then also compared to uh, Roman, we have Olivia, and we know she's getting treatments, but what's the difference between Roman's treatments and Olivia's treatments? And because we kind of know Olivia's starting to become more human in a way because her lifespan is not as long as it should be so she might die as well
2: yeah and it's an accelerated
3: accelerated lifespan it's
2: accelerated deterioration of her lifespan so she could very well die younger than a normal human would like let's just say she looks like she's in her 40s now maybe she could die when she in 10 years or in in fifteen years, who knows? She won't live until a hundred. Yeah, she's gonna, so she's I already, think what several hundred years old,
3: several hundreds at least. So I think they will definitely go more in depth with how serious Olivia's condition is right now.
2: Oh, very good. Well, uh, thanks so much, guys, for joining us here at After Buzz TV's Hemlock Grove podcast. Be sure to check us out on YouTube and iTunes, and you know what? Give us some follows. You can follow me at Sean Austin O on Twitter and Instagram.
3: And you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at TV.
2: Thanks so much, guys. We'll buzz with you next week. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire
1: AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com.